When I was about uh, nine or ten years old, I was singing in the First Baptist Church Junior Choir. Now, we don't call it Junior Choir anymore, but we would sing occasionally, and Mrs. Cassidy, the organist, was our leader, our teacher. And uh, we, about once every quarter, would sit on the front row of the choir with the adult chorale behind us at the First Baptist Church in Dallas, a huge church, larger even than this. And there we would be, and we would sing along with the uh, adult choir. And on occasions, we would sing a solo. Uh, they asked me to hum, which I would do. <laughs> but uh, this morning, and uh, we were on the front row this Sunday morning, and it was communion. We were having communion at First Baptist Church, Dallas. In front of me, within arm's reach, I could reach out and touch him, was the venerable, stately, majestic man, Dr. George W. Truett. Large man, one of the greatest preachers in American life. He then, about 70 years of age, uh, lovable and warm-hearted and gracious, but uh, a man that was pretty formal. Wore a frock tail coat and striped pants and a high collar and a string bow tie. And uh, he, he looked like a face card. And he was a marvelous man. He was right in front of me. Okay, we had passed the bread, uh, as we will here in a few moments. And uh, I'd taken the bread and we'd all participated. And then they were passing the tray with all the cups in it. Well, Dr. Truett was in front of me meditating. The organist was softly playing. The deacons came into the choir loft, as they will in a few moments, and they came down to the front row and they handed Joe Cobb, who was sitting on, seated on my right, later Dr. Joe Cobb, he was seated there, and I was second, right behind Dr. Truett. They handed the tray to Joe. Joe took one of the little cups out and handed it to me. I thought Joe was going to hold it while I took out one of the cups. Joe thought I was going to hold it. Suddenly, that tray full of juice and those glasses, the little cups, and they were glass in those days, not plastic. They went to the floor in a crash that sounded like two automobiles running together. Pow! Dr. George W. Truett broke the world's seated long jump in that moment. <laughs> he ended up in about the fourth row out there. Those cups hit the ground and the juice came up all over Joe and me and myself, all over our robes and caused pandemonium. You know, it was terrible. Everyone looked up. They were praying and meditating. My mother and father were seated in the balcony about where those folks are. I was terrified. I did not want to look up at them. I thought, oh my, this is the end of the world for me. Uh, I thought, oh, Dr. Truett is going to be so upset. And after the service, he patted me on the head in the tender, loving way that he always did. He said, it's all right, boy. Everything's all right, boy. Everything's all right, my son. And uh, that made me feel better. My mother and father were not quite that kind. <laughs> but, but, uh, oh, but you know what happened? I mean, after we dropped it and it was all over us, Deacon came back up and started it over. They, they didn't exclude us because we dropped the tray or I had. 
they passed it along and I very carefully took one and we passed it along and took uh, the Lord's Supper. Well, at one time or, no, or another in our lives, we've let the blessings of God fall through our hands, haven't we? We've all dropped the tray. Our faith has wavered. Our faithfulness has wandered. We've let it slip through our hands. Sometimes it embarrasses us terribly and other people see it. Maybe it splashes all over us. Other times it may be unseen, but we know it. We've let God and our relationship with him slip through our hands. Let me point out that you never slip through God's hands. When you drop the tray, he shows up with another. When you drop the ball, he picks it up. He is the God of a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. He is the God of limitless love and unconditional forgiveness. Now in that upper room a long time ago, there were 12 men, all of whom had dropped the tray at one time or another or were going to and all did. We read, as Paul tells us in the 11th chapter of Corinthians, the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. Well, here were these men. They'd had the Passover observance. Now, these were just ordinary men. We got the idea that uh, Simon Peter and James and John and Andrew and Matthew, that these were some sort of super saints. They were not. They were not. They were ordinary people like you and I. Fishermen, government workers. They were not spiritual giants. They were just folks that he called like every one of us. And they all like each of us, had some failures in their past. All of us do in one way or another, in one degree or another. We've all done that. Some failures in the past. Let it slip through our hands. We also have some frustrations in the present as they did. They were terrified. They didn't know what was going to happen next. They were frightened and uncertain they knew that Jesus had had a big following and now they could see the tide turning against him and people were out to get him and their future was in doubt and they were uncertain and insecure like we are at times. They had frustrations in the present and they had some, they had some fears and apprehensions about the future. They didn't know what was going to happen to them. And Jesus tried to calm, calm them down. He tried to comfort them and spoke some of the most magnificent words he ever uttered to that group of frightened men and failing men for they'd been arguing about which one was going to be the greatest and, and Jesus had said one of you is going to betray me and they all had a conscious realization that they might be the one that was going to do it when he said one of you is going to betray me every one of them said is it I they were not bragging, pious, sort of 
self-righteous individuals, they all saw within themselves the capacity to drop him, to betray him, to sell him for even less than 30 pieces of silver. And they all said, Lord, is it I? Here was one who was going to betray him. Here was another one who was going to deny him and curse him, named Simon. And all of them, the scripture says, forsook him and fled. All forsook him in his hour of greatest need, but they arrested him and took him off for a trial. The scripture says they all forsook him and fled. Now we have a little PS there. John came back and was at the cross, but all the rest of them had gone. Mary and Martha had gone. Lazarus had gone. The thousands he'd fed had gone. The people he'd healed had gone. He was alone. They all dropped the tray like all of us have. And he took bread. And he said, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. Bread. Now I have a loaf of bread here. This is a bread of, this has leaven in it or yeast in it. Now that's the way they made bread most of the time. Not this big usually, but they would take bread. Now you know the process of how bread gets here. Uh, maybe some children think it just comes at H-E-B, but it, it comes from some wheat, some wheat that's in the soil. Now listen, because this has a tremendous symbol for us as does the cup. We'll talk about it in just a moment. Not lengthy, but a very important moment or two. The seed is in the ground. It's in the earth. And it derives nutrients from the earth. It's earthy. It begins in the earth. But it also has a touch of heaven about it. It cannot grow without light and water. I am the light of the world. I am the water of life. Here we have a picture of the incarnation. We have a picture of the human combined with the divine. Earthy combined with the heavenly. And that's exactly what we have in the incarnation of Christ. A combination of man and God. The God-man. Holy man and holy God. Bread comes as a symbol of incarnation. Now to make bread. Now listen to the symbolism here. To make bread, you know, you have to harvest it, thresh it. It goes through a threshing floor. It has to be ground in a mill. And then it, you take the, that, those, the, the, the ground grain, and what do you add? Water. I am the water of life, he said. You add water. What else yet? You, you add salt. You are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It flavors. It preserves and it penetrates. The salt gets lost in what you salt, what you put it on. The salt gets lost. And leaven, the yeast to make it rise. Now let me correct a misimpression some people have that leaven always refers to evil in the Bible. It does not. It does on occasions, but listen to Jesus. His statement in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, leaven. Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God to leaven. Why? 
because the leaven, the yeast, like the salt and the water, penetrates the grain, penetrates the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast when a woman took it and mixed it with a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. You see, it penetrated it, permeates it, and makes it rise. Now, the reason that at the Passover and therefore in this morning, you will be taking unleavened bread. There is no yeast in it. Why is that? Because when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses and they were having to rush to get out of there because Pharaoh was after them. They had to make bread, but they said, we don't have time to put the yeast in it. We don't have time to put the leaven in it. We don't have time for the bread to rise. So they went out with unleavened bread. So when the Hebrew and our friends, the Jews celebrate Passover, celebrate Shabbat, it's with unleavened bread to remind them of that which they had to go through to be redeemed from Egypt. So here you have, look at the symbolism. Here was Jesus, the bread of life. He was harvested. He was ground. He was molded. He was put in a fire of Gethsemane and baked at the cross and then was broken to serve the world. This is my body broken for you. It's to be eaten. You don't live by taking pictures of bread. You live by eating it. You can look at pictures of it all day long. You can look at this bread. You can handle it. It will never bring any strength to us until it is ingested and it begins to permeate us. The seed, the wheat, the water, the salt, the leaven to make us rise to a new kind of life. The symbolism of incarnation. And he's here to break himself still, to serve himself to all of us who've let the communion tray slip through our fingers at one time or another. Wine, also a symbol of incarnation. The vine drawing nutrients from the earth. The sun has to be just right. The water has to be just right. And then when it is harvested, when it is brought together, when they go out and bring the grapes in, it's a time of great celebration. And they put it in these huge vats and they get in there and they begin to walk around on it. Or they had a wine press in some places and they would walk around in it. It'd be up nearly to their knees. Sometimes they'd have to hold on to ropes to keep from falling over. And while they were doing it, they were singing. They were celebrating. Here it was, a symbol of life, blood red, poured out. And it was caught then and put into wineskins or into big clay jars and was preserved in that way. This is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is poured out for you for the remission of your sins. Incredible symbolism. Incredible picture. 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 This is not his body. When he said, this is my body, when he took a piece of bread and said, this is my body, at that moment, 
the bread and his body were two distinct objects. When he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, that wine and that cup and his body and his blood were two distinct items. This is not literally his body and this is not literally his blood. These are pictures of his blood. These are pictures of his body. For example, you want to see Martha? I'll show you a picture of Martha. I have a number of them in my billfold. I have pictures of my children and my grandchildren. And I take it out and I say, well, you know, here, here is a, here's a picture of Michael and Julia and little Mike. Here's a picture of Steve and Debbie and, and uh, Julia and little Michael. And here's a picture of Martha. I say, look, here's my son. That's not my son. That's a picture of my son. This is my wife? No, this is a picture of my wife. This is Jesus' body? No, it's a picture of his body. This is Jesus' blood? No, it's a picture of his blood. Now, he said that he took this and he gave himself to us and for us. I read it to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. The incarnation, the one who grew, who was threshed, who went through the mill, who went through the fire, who went through the cross, trampled. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by him, we are saved. You see on this cross three letters, I-H-S. Those represent three Greek words of the first letter and three great Greek words. First one, I, the first letter, Iesus, Jesus, H, Huios, Son, S, Soter, Savior, Jesus, Son of God, Savior. Jesus, his earthly name. God, his heavenly name. Savior, his vocation. And so now it's time for us to take this. And in a moment, you're going to take in your hand a little piece of bread. Meditate on it as it's being passed to others. Don't think about anything else. Think about all that's embodied in that little piece of bread. Do the same thing with the cup. He did it for you. He passes the tray to you again, just like they did to me. The Lord comes with his grace and his forgiveness. Amazing love. How can it be that God, my Savior, should die for me? Deacons, please stand. Dear Lord Jesus, as we come to hold this bread in our hands, reminding us of you, help us to see all of the symbolism there and all of the significance for us and all of the revelation of yourself to us. We thank you, Lord, for what you did for love. In your name we pray. Amen.
For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. can stand please in the same way after supper he took the cup Lord as we take this cup may we see in the red of this little cup the cup of suffering that you tasted for us that you drank for us the death you died for us to give us the life which is your life within us bless these moments and each person present, for Jesus' sake, amen. same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me closing question and a closing word. Jesus spoke his last earthly request to his disciples. And what was it? Remember me. Remember me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, Remember me. Did he mean that we were only to remember him when we had communion in church? There's some indications that the early church had communion only once a year at Easter. Others had it every week, every month, every quarter. No. I believe the scripture is teaching us we're to have it every day. Twice we read the word whenever. Whenever you drink it, you do so in remembrance of me. Whenever you take the bread, you do so in remembrance of me. 
Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he comes. Do you realize when you're going to have the memorial supper again? When you eat lunch today, when you break the loaf of bread, the roll, the cracker, when you take the toast in the morning, let that bread remind you. When you drink apple juice or grape juice or orange juice or a glass of water or whatever it might be, iced tea or Coca-Cola, whatever, whenever you drink anything, let it remind us of him. For whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God, the scripture says. This is not just an observance where we remember him one day out of the month or quarter or year. Every day, remember him. They sang a hymn and went out. Before we sing a hymn and go out, we need to sing a hymn to invite people in. To invite people into faith in Christ. To invite people into fellowship in his church. The Bible says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Should we not love the church and give ourselves to it? If we love him. To come maybe to kneel and pray and return to your seat. Maybe to come in an act of rededication. In the early service this morning, a young man came forward saying he felt called to go into the ministry, going to the seminary to prepare for Christian service. Maybe God's calling some of you young people to go out and proclaim this message. Jesus, Son of God, Savior, Jesus, Huios, Soter. Tell it. He's your Savior. Will you trust Him? I'll be here to greet you and welcome you. Will you join His church? Wherever you're coming from, I'll be here to greet you. Come in. Come in. Let's stand and sing.